Father, we thank you for the reminder today that the mystery of who you are has been revealed in the person and work of your son, Jesus Christ, who is the word who became flesh and dwelt among us. We have seen his glory, glory as of the only son of the father who is full of grace and full of truth. Thank you for sending Jesus to us. Thank you for sending Jesus to us. Thank you that he came to this earth and he did for us what we could never do for ourselves. And when we drifted and when we wandered and we were far from you, you did not leave us or forsake us. You pursued us. So fathers, we turn to your word this morning. Will you give us a renewed confidence in the reminder that you really are there and that you really do hear us? and that we can call on your name in faith and prepare for you to move in ways that we never could have begun to imagine. So Father, will you today on this Christmas Eve morning, will you speak the truth of your word to our hearts? Will you glorify the name of your son, Jesus Christ, and edify your church as we gather here in this place? Father, sanctify us in the truth of your word. Your word is truth. Your word is truth. Speak it to our hearts today. We ask all of these things in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. amen, amen. You can go ahead and have a seat. And uh, as you find your seats this morning, I'll invite you to turn with me in your Bible. James chapter five is where we're gonna spend our time together this morning. If you're our guest, my name's Taylor and I serve here at Cross as lead pastor. We're honored to have you worshiping with us today. And what our church family has been doing for the last few months since the Sunday after Labor Day is we've been walking verse by verse through the book of James and we're landing that plane this morning. So um, if you don't have a Bible, there should be one underneath a seat somewhere near you. Again, as Blaine said earlier, if you don't own a Bible, that's our gift to you. You feel free to take that with you as you go today. Uh, the words that we're looking out this morning are also going to be on the screen. Before we dive into things, I just want to recognize this is a Sunday where we have all of our elementary age cross kids in the room with us. Will you guys join me in welcoming all of our kids uh, into worship today? So glad to have those guys in here. Um, kids, what we want you to hear and to know today is that God loves you and he has a plan for you. He has a purpose for you and far greater than any gift you can receive in the next 24 hours. God has given the greatest gift you could ever receive by giving you his son, Jesus Christ. And, and the best day of your life is going to be the day that you give your heart to Jesus. And so we love you. We're really, really glad that you're here with us this morning. Um, so again, James chapter five, we're going to look this morning at verses 13 through 20. In September 1857, a man named Jeremiah Lamphere began holding a noon prayer meeting at Dutch Reformed Church, which is in lower New York City. And this was at a time in our country's history, just a few years before the Civil War began, where there was massive economic, political, and spiritual decline. And um, Dutch Reformed Church was on a downward spiral, just bleeding members as well. And so after a few months on a visitation assignment, it occurred to Lamphere that businessmen in his area might 
be open to coming to a noon prayer gathering while they were stopping and breaking for lunch. And so he spent a few months where he was passing out flyers and and then placed a placard right outside the old church building that simply said, prayer meeting from 12 to one o'clock, stop five, 10 or 20 minutes or the whole hour as your time admits. Uh, But in spite of of trying to spread the word about this and trying to create some buy-in and some buildup, day one, there was a little bit of disappointment because only six people show up. But six people did show up and the group that met together resolved that they would meet again the next week. And so the second week that they gathered together, the six had become 20. And then by the third week, the 20 had become 40. And then the very next week, our nation went through one of the greatest economic crises of our time. And as money started to fail, businessmen within the city began turning to the Lord. And within six months, this small prayer gathering led by Jeremiah Lamphere that began with six people turned into a daily prayer gathering that included over 10,000 people in New York City. But this wasn't just limited to to New York. This began to spark a global worldwide revival where this moved into dozens of nations. And it's estimated during that period of time that over 1 million new believers' names were added to church membership rosters nationwide. And you know, what's amazing about Jeremiah Lanfear is he was not a pastor. He was not a well-traveled evangelist. He was not a scholar. He was not a theologian. He was not a prominent author. He was a businessman. He was just a, a regular guy. He was a merchant. He was a lay leader in his church who was concerned about the spiritual decline of our nation and of the church. And he purposed in his heart to gather God's people together to pray. Jonathan Edwards said a few hundred years ago, when God has something very great to accomplish for his church, it is his will that there should precede it the extraordinary prayers of his people. You know, if you study different movements of God throughout history, like what became known as the Fulton Street Meeting, one common denominator that you will always find is prayer. And what we're going to see in this last section of James today is that the Lord hears the prayers of ordinary people. The Lord hears the extraordinary prayers of ordinary people. God is eager to hear our prayer. God is eager to answer our prayer. And and you don't have to be a powerful person to tap into the power of God. Jeremiah Lanfear was not a powerful man, but he was a prayerful man. Because the power that you and I have, it doesn't come from the person who is praying. It comes from the God that we are praying to. And God hears and answers the extraordinary prayers of ordinary people. So from James chapter five, let's read once again, beginning with verses 13 through the first half of verse 16. James asks in this section, is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed." The Lord hears and answers extraordinary prayers made by ordinary people. And because of this, James shows us first in verse 13 this morning that we should pray in faith together as a community of believers. 
James closes out his letter by painting a picture for us of corporate prayer, of the church praying together. One of the distinguishing marks of the gathered church should be a culture of corporate prayer. Listen, biblical preaching is good. Uh, Church discipleship programs are good, but Jesus did not say in Matthew chapter 21, my father's house shall be a house of preaching or a house of programs. He said, my father's house is to be called a house of prayer. So James closes his letter with a picture of the church praying together. In every one of these verses, verses 13 through 18, he uses the word prayer. And if you remember, if you've been with us since September when we kicked this, this study off, James is writing to believers who are scattered all across the world because of persecution and opposition they were facing because of their faith. And yet in spite of the persecution and opposition, uh, the opening instruction, the opening exhortation James gives in this letter is, count it all joy when you face trials of various kinds. So all throughout this letter, as we've seen the last few months, James has addressed trials of various kinds. James has addressed trials of testing and temptation. He's addressed trials of financial hardship and relational conflict. And here at the closing of his letter, he addresses trials of sickness and suffering. And you know, I I think if we look closely, we quickly find this is a very appropriate text for us here on Christmas Eve as we gather together this morning. Because this time of the year is a time of the year that hits a number of different people in a number of different ways. And, and James is writing to a group of, a diverse group of people who were all going through very, very different emotions. As we gather together this morning, man, Christmas week for you, like it is a week of cheer. You are at like Buddy the Elf energy level right now, right? I mean, you love Christmas. You have been waiting for it since December 26th of last year. And, and you keep the inflatables up at your house all year long. And the music plays at your house all year long. And today is about celebration. It's about fun. It's about excitement. It's about family. And praise God for that. James says, man, if you're cheerful, sing praise. Let that be your response today. And you shouldn't feel bad about that being your response today. But he also says, what if you're suffering? For others, this is a very hard time of the year. I know that there's many of us, we gather here this morning, and man, we wish we had the joy. We wish we had the cheer. We wish we had the enthusiasm for these things. While for some, this is a time of the year that's marked by joy and excitement and praise. Man, for, for others, from, from about the day after Thanksgiving, you, you just kind of try to survive the next six weeks because it's a season that's marked by darkness and by loss and by grief, and, and, and by suffering, and, and, and frankly, everybody else's experience of joy can make it even more difficult for you personally. No matter where you're coming from this morning, James has something for you. He says, is any among you suffering? Let him pray. That's the Lord's invitation to you today. If you're cheerful, man, sing praise and sing it over those brothers and sisters who are in the dark places this morning. But then he also goes on to give this instruction in verses 14 and 15. He says, is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick and and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. 
Now I want to pause here for just a second because this is a passage of scripture that if we misunderstand what James is saying, not only is it going to be frustrating for us, it can have devastating consequences for us spiritually as it pertains to our understanding of who God is. We, we recognize as followers of Jesus Christ that all sickness, all suffering, all evil, all injustice exists in our world because of the ongoing presence of sin. So all sickness, all suffering, all of it exists because of the ongoing presence of sin. But I want to clarify what James is not saying this morning, because James is addressing both physical sickness and spiritual sickness. James is not saying that if you are sick or suffering today, that that is the direct result of some type of sin you have personally committed. All all sickness and suffering does exist because of sin, but you are not sick or suffering necessarily because of a sin that you have committed. God does not work this way. It's, It's not like if you cussed yesterday, you get hit with COVID today. Like that's not how it works. That's, that's not how this works but with the Lord. Now, it's, it's possible that sickness is related to some sort of personal sin we're committed, but James is not automatically saying your sickness, your suffering is the result of your sin, and that if you just had more faith, if you just prayed harder, it would all go away, and the reason you still have it is because you haven't prayed enough and you haven't had enough faith. That, that is not what James is saying in this passage. As believers in Jesus Christ, we do believe in a God who can and does give miraculous healing even in the here and now. We believe that the God who created and governs the universe, the God who has instituted all of the natural laws that govern our universe, is at any point in time capable of suspending those natural laws that he's in control of in order to accomplish supernatural purposes. We believe that God can do this. And yet as believers, we also know that when we ask the Lord to heal, we do not attach to the end of our prayer, my will be done. We attach to the end of the prayer, thy will be done. God does not bring healing according to our will. He brings healing according to his. And man, I know as soon as I say that this morning, it invites one of the most complex questions that Christians have wrestled with for 2,000 years. When we pray for healing, why is it that some do experience here and now physical healing? And why is it that others don't? And I want you to hear my heart this morning when I tell you this is a question that I have probably wrestled with more than any question that we could find in scripture. And it's a question that I wrestle with deeply at a personal level, specifically during this time of the year. As 12 years ago, uh, this past Tuesday, I was standing in the intensive care unit in a Watauga Medical Center in Boone, North Carolina, watching my dad take his final breaths. And, and watching in this moment, he had just coded out to, right before we had gotten into the room. And I'm, I'm watching a team of doctors do absolutely everything they could do to, to basically just, just pump air into his body just to keep him going. But we watched him take his final breaths. And as we're doing this, I'm standing in that hospital room. I remember looking outside the window that morning. The sky was just beautiful that, that day. I'll never forget what the sky looked like. And, and in that moment, I can tell you before God today, like my faith never wavered. I I am praying along with members of my family in that moment. I'm saying to the Lord, you could stop this. You could intervene right now. You could stop this. You could bring an end to this. You, You could raise him right back up on this bed right now. You could blow the mind of every doctor in this room. You could stop this, but you're not going to. And I don't think I'm ever gonna graduate from the tension of that question this side of eternity. 
So, so hear me when I tell you, like, I, I am with you. It is much, it's, it's a good church answer just to attach thy will be done, not, not my will be done. But the hope that we have as believers is that there is a sense in which even when the Lord does not answer the prayer in, in the ways we desire for him to answer, he always answers the prayer in the way that he, that he desires for him to answer. That this is what we can have confidence in. Um, if you're not familiar with Pastor Tony Evans, um, I'll just go ahead and say you're welcome. That's something for you to do tomorrow afternoon when you're just laid out on the couch. Instead of doom scrolling your phone uh, when you're exhausted from all your Christmas lunch, download a Tony Evans sermon. That's free for you. Uh, take that role. And, and a few years ago, Pastor Tony's wife passed away. And, and his son, Jonathan, gave at her service, I think maybe the most powerful eulogy that I had ever heard in my life that helped me to make sense of, of experiences of suffering that I have walked through and that I've seen others walk through as believers in Jesus Christ. And he was also laying this question before the Lord and, and saying, Lord, why did this healing not take place? We had faith. We asked you. We came to you for this. And this is what he felt the Lord laying on his heart. He felt the Lord laying on his heart these words, son, you don't understand the nature of my victory. Because just because I didn't answer your prayer your way doesn't mean I didn't answer your prayer anyway. Either she was going to be healed or she was going to be healed. Either she was going to live or she was going to live. The answer to your prayer was either yes or yes. This is the hope. This is the confidence we have as believers in Jesus Christ. Now, can God, will God, this side of eternity, bring physical healing to our bodies? Maybe. But will the Lord, this side of eternity, bring spiritual healing to our souls? Definitely. And because God has met our greatest need, which is the salvation of our souls, we can have confidence in our lesser need, which is the future resurrection of our bodies when we stand before him in glory. There, there is a sense in which the answer to every prayer for healing is yes. So this is the good news for you today. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, if you are sick, if you are suffering, either you're going to be healed or you're going to be healed. Either you are going to live or you're going to live. Either you're going to be raised up or man, you are going to be raised up. The promise of the gospel, the hope that we have at Christmas is that sin and sickness and death and suffering do not get the final say. They don't get the final say. The day would come where the baby in the womb became the man who walked out of the tomb. And because of what Jesus Christ has accomplished for us in securing the salvation of our souls, we have confidence in the future resurrection of our bodies. Because Jesus has met our greatest need, we can be confident that he will meet our lesser need. That's why James says in verse 16, therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another. Why? That you may be healed that you may be healed. Whether our sickness is physical or spiritual, the invitation to you today is to lay it at the feet of Jesus. This is the beauty of the gospel message. Do you know what you need to come to Jesus? All you need to come to Jesus is your need. All he needs is your need. You, you bring your physical suffering to him. You bring your spiritual suffering to him. I love these words from Jim Cimbala, who's the pastor of the Brooklyn Tabernacle Church in New York City. He wrote in his book, Fresh Wind, Fresh Fire, another book I highly recommend to you. He said, God is attracted to weakness. 
He can't resist those who humbly and honestly admit how desperately they need him. Our weakness, in fact, makes room for his power. So if you are physically sick, will God heal your body today? Possibly. Not my will be done, but thy will be done. However, if you're spiritually sick, will God bring healing to your soul today? The answer to that is definitely. Absolutely, yes. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. So James goes on to tell us in the second half of verse 16, going down through verse 18. He says, the prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. And he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. And then he prayed again and heaven gave rain and the earth bore its fruit. The Lord hears and answers extraordinary prayers made by ordinary people, which means we would be foolish not to pray in faith together as a community of believers. And as we pray in faith, second James shows us this morning, we should prepare for the Lord to move in extraordinary ways. We gather together corporately. We pray together according to the will of God, according to the promises of God. And as we do this, we should prepare for the Lord to move in extraordinary ways. Our first Sunday um, in this facility earlier this year was on Father's Day. We had our first services here on June 18th, just over six months ago. And our first Sunday here, we actually looked at this passage from 1 Kings chapter 18 that James is referring to here in James chapter five, just the story of Elijah and a showdown that he has with the prophets of Baal at Mount Carmel. Just a little bit of the context of what's happening in, in that passage is um, that God's people had rebelled against him. They had fallen into idolatry and the worship of Baal. So part of his judgment was that a great drought uh, came upon the land. And, and so the Lord prophesies this through Elijah. He speaks this to the nation. The Lord puts him in a place of hiding for a season, but then he tells them to go to Mount Carmel and to confront the prophets of Baal. And so they, they just have have kind of this Wild West showdown. It's an incredible picture, 1 Kings chapter 18. It's my favorite story in the whole Bible, where Elijah and, and the prophets of Baal, they're kind of on opposite sides of the mountain. Elijah throws down the gauntlet. He says, listen, you prepare a sacrifice and I'll prepare a sacrifice. And then you pray to your God, I'll pray to my God. And whichever God answers by sending fire from heaven to consume the sacrifice, we will know that that is the true God. And so when it came time for him to offer the prayer, these are the words that Elijah prayed in 1 Kings 18, verses 36 through 38. It says, at the time of the offering of the oblation, Elijah the prophet came near and said, O Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known this day that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant, and that I have done all these things at your word. Answer me, O Lord, answer me that this people may know that you, O Lord, are God, and that you have turned their hearts back. And then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt offering and the wood and the stones and the dust and licked up the water that was in the trench. And when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and said, the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. And then the prophets of Baal are defeated. And after the prophets of Baal are defeated, the Lord once again sends the rain. Now, you know, we hear stories like this. I know this is my tendency sometimes. We see these incredible supernatural things happen, and we just think to ourselves, man, I, I could never be a part of something like that. 
I could never pray like that. Like I could never pray and, and, and see the Lord move in, in such a supernatural, spectacular way. And if that's you, if you wrestle with that reality this morning as well, the book of James offers great comfort for you because it doesn't tell us that Elijah was like Superman with his cape blowing in the wind. What does it say about Elijah? It says, Elijah was a man with a nature like what? Like ours. Elijah's just a dude. Like he's, he's just a guy, just a normal guy, a normal human being. We forget sometimes when we read our Bible, guys, these were just people. And, and actually you and I have a benefit that Elijah did not have because as believers in Jesus Christ, we have the spirit of God dwelling within us today, the resurrection power. And so th this has been given to us by Jesus and, and James comforts us this morning. Listen, Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. He prayed fervently that it would not rain and the Lord heard his prayer. The Lord answered his prayer and it did not rain. Now I got to try to put this into practice in a pretty unique way about a week ago. So um, a few weeks ago, our oldest son Gideon turned 11 and the poor kid for his birthday wanted to go to a Carolina Panthers game. Um, and I keep telling Gideon, I'm like, buddy, like you're 11. There's still time for you to choose a good team. You know, like I I've done this for three decades. You do not have to attach yourself to this type of misery for the next three decades of your life. But like, like his dad, I mean, the kid is just stubborn and, and he is loyal to a fault and he wanted to go to a Panthers game. And so the good news is they're terrible. So the tickets were cheap and, and um, he wanted a Bryce Young jersey for his birthday. We got that. And, and so, so, you know, not only are we going to watch literally the worst team in the NFL right now, I'm looking at the weather forecast two days before and you guys were in town last week. It was nasty, right? Um, and it was just absolutely pouring rain. I'm confident we were present for the lowest attended game in NFL history. The, the real numbers are not going up. I'm confident that was the reality. And, and so, you know, I'm prepping for this message before I leave. I'm like, all right, Elijah, man with a nature just like mine. He prayed that it wouldn't rain. And I believe in God's sovereignty and his powerful. I believe that he's, he's a creator. I believe that he governs all things. I believe that if he didn't desire for it to rain, that it wouldn't rain. And so I asked the Lord, it's our desire that the weather be nice tomorrow. I want to have a good time with Gideon. I want to enjoy this moment. I want to make this memory with him. And, and if it's your will, it's our desire that it would not rain. I prayed those words and I really meant it. And guys, it poured the rain still. <laughs> still poured the rain. Now, good news is um, we were sitting just under the upper deck covering just enough that the water was literally falling like two feet in front of us. Do with that what you will theologically in your community groups. I don't know what well, to make sense of that. The Panthers accidentally won while we were there, which is awesome. We had a good time. It was great. But, but here's the question, like, why does the Lord answer Elijah's prayer, but not mine? Like, why is it? If he's a man with a nature just like ours, he prayed that it wouldn't rain. I pray that it wouldn't rain. Why does he get the answer he desires? I don't get the answer that I desire. Here's the difference. Elijah was praying in accordance with something that God had already promised was going to happen. If you go back to 1 Kings chapter 18, the Lord gave him this instruction, go show yourself to Ahab and I will send rain upon the earth. God had promised that when he went and confronted Ahab, he would once again send rain. So Elijah prayed in line with the promises of God. Now that might leave you asking the question then, well, then why do we even need to pray? Like if, if God's got a plan, if God's made a promise, if God's know, God knows what's going to happen, what is the purpose of praying? But this is what's amazing about our sovereign God. And this is part of the mystery of who God is. 
is yes, we have a sovereign God who is in control of all things, a God who has already ordained the end, but our God has not just ordained the end, he has also ordained the means. And the means by which God has determined to carry out his purposes and plans in the world are the prayers of his people. It means you and I, guys, when we pray, we get to participate in the carrying out of the will and the promises and the plans of God in our world. That is what we're promised in prayer. Prayer does not conform the will of God to ours. Prayer conforms our will to his. And so this is what happens. As we pray according to the will of God, as we pray according to the promises of God, he fulfills those things through us, which increases our confidence in his faithfulness. So prayer, man, it is for our benefits that we come to him and we pray according to his word. Just think about as Jesus taught us to pray in Matthew chapter six. The first three statements of the Lord's Prayer, think about this for a moment. Why does Jesus teach us to pray, hallowed be your name? Why does he teach us to pray, your kingdom come? Why does he teach us to pray, your will be done? Jesus teaches us to pray these things because God has already promised all of these things are going to happen. It's for our benefit that we pray these things because then we participate in the fulfillment of his promises. God has already promised his glory is gonna be known throughout all the earth. His name will be hallowed. It will be revered. It will be exalted. It will never be forgotten. We can pray your kingdom come because God has promised his kingdom will come. It has already come in the person and work of Jesus Christ. It will come in its fullness once again when Christ returns again. We can pray, Lord, your will be done because the will of God will always be done. And as these things happen, as we pray in accordance with God's will, in accordance with God's word, in accordance with God's promise, and he fulfills those things through us and in us and around us, it increases our confidence in his faithfulness, that he will fulfill his promise. You know, part of how we're, we're really putting this into practice as a church right now is uh, many of you are aware, man, we are, are just uh, about a week out from laying all the groundwork for what we've called Seek Week. Who's pumped about Seek Week over the next couple of weeks? Super pumped about this as well. Um, if you don't know about Seek Week, you'll, I'm going to talk more about it at the end of our, our services today. But Seek Week for us, just in a nutshell, it, it is a week where we are intensively seeking the Lord in his word. We're seeking him in fasting. We're seeking him in prayer. We are seeking him with increased opportunities for gathering together for corporate worship. And why do we do this? We're doing this because of what God has promised in his word. Hebrews chapter 11, verse six, he rewards those who diligently seek him. And he rewards us with the gift of himself, the promise of himself. So if he rewards those who seek him, then why would we not do what Psalm 105 calls us to do, to seek the Lord and his strength and to seek his presence continually? We do these things because we believe in the promise of God. For seven years as a church, we have claimed the promise of Jesus from Matthew 16. I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. I absolutely, utterly, ridiculously refuse to embrace the language that's being used by so many today to talk about how our nation is post-Christian. Guys, if that tomb is empty, if there really is a man named Jesus who walked out of a grave, who really did make a promise to build his church, that means for you and I as believers, we are never post-Christian, we are always just pre-revival. 
And, and that's where we are right now. Like we believe that God desires once again to move in us and among us because of what he's promised in his word. So we seek him. We seek him. Nothing is a lost cause. No person is a lost cause. And because of that, this is where James leaves us off in verses 19 and 20. James gives us this exhortation to close his letter. He says, my brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. The Lord hears and answers extraordinary prayers made by ordinary people. Because of this, we should resolve to pray in faith together as a community of believers. As we pray in faith, James shows us that we should prepare for the Lord to move in extraordinary ways. But we don't just prepare for the Lord to move, we then take action. Third, James shows us at the end of his letter, we should be people who pursue and bring back those who have wandered from the truth. If you uh, rack up some Amazon gift cards in the next couple days, a book that I want to recommend to you is a book by a guy named Jim Davis and Michael Graham called The Great Dechurching. And uh, the, the title of the book kind of gives it away, um, talks a little bit about the phenomenon of why so many have walked away from the church over the last few decades. And just to, to give you some, some staggering numbers here so we can really understand the moment that we're living in today. In, in the last few decades in the Western church, 40 million Hang on to that, that number. 40 million progress, uh, professing believers have walked away from the church just in the last few decades. D to help scale this a little bit, in the last three decades, more people have walked away from the church than the number of people who came to faith in Jesus Christ during the first great awakening, the second great awakening, and all of the Billy Graham crusades combined. In that short period of time, more people have drifted away from the church than the number of people who came to faith in Jesus Christ during the largest mass movements of God that our nation has ever known. Those are staggering numbers. Those are staggering numbers. And we have to reckon with the reality of why this is. This book is really helpful in, in kind of laying out why it is so many. Now, here's, here's part of what's encouraging. Now, there is a narrative that's, um, that, you know, everybody's just kind of deconstructing faith and rejecting the word of God and rejecting Jesus and rejecting uh, institutional faith in every capacity. And, and that's why everybody's walking away. And, and listen, that is true to an extent. And, and recognizing that's true, you and I as believers, we have to be willing to reckon with the fact that a lot of people have walked away from the church and we're the reason why they walked away. That we did not love people well, we did not serve people well, that we were extremely hypocritical in how we elevated some sins above others. And, and so some have, it's not that they, they've not found Jesus. I mean, they, they came to the church and they saw what was there and they really didn't like it and decided this isn't for me. And so we, we've got to be able to recognize our own failures in these things. But, but here is, is one silver lining in that 40 million number. Of the 40 million who have walked away, half have indicated that they actually desire to come back. And this is what was fascinating about this study. You know, like the overwhelming majority of people who've walked away from the last few decades, you know the primary reason they've disconnected from the church? They moved. Like literally they just moved. 
You know, they, they move geographic locations, they move jobs multiple times, they go through college, they get married, they have kids, they start a career, life gets busy, and you know, the faith really just isn't the priority that it, that it once was, but actually now indicate, half of those who were surveyed indicate, no, there's actually a desire to come back. And you know what they're waiting on to come back? A personal invitation from you and me. That's literally all they're waiting for is a personal invitation from someone else who will bring them back in. Guys, this is the ministry we're called to. We have brothers and sisters. That There is an entire generational flock that has wandered right now. And the work that the Lord has given to us is to go running after them. Listen, if, if, that's, if that's part of your story today, like if, man, you're, it's not that you've rejected the word of God. It's not that you've rejected the church. You've not rejected Jesus. You're just, just kind of like, you know, yeah, honestly, like life's just been a little crazy. And, and this is, hasn't been the priority that I knew that it needs to be, but that I desire to come back. Please hear me when I tell you, like the door is wide open for you. Our God is not the God when you decide to come back home, that he's standing on the front porch with his arms crossed going, where have you been? Now he is the father who jumps up from his rocking chair and he runs when he sees you coming down the road. And our message to you this morning is like, well, listen, we, we don't need your speech. We don't need your reasons why. Just, just get back in the house. Just get back in the house. Just, just come back in and receive the love of your brothers and sisters in Christ. A few years ago, um, I was coaching one of my son's baseball teams and uh, we finished up a game one night. And um, when the game finished, we, we noticed there was a little bit of a panic that was going on around us. And uh, what we quickly realized was that one of the families on our team had a little boy who was only about two or three years old at the time. We were out at the Burton Wells complex. As you've been out there, you know how big this is. Uh, he had disappeared. Nobody could find him. Um, Post game, you know how it is, as, man, as parents, you, my goodness, you turn your back for two seconds and then they're gone, right? Like it just, just happens sometimes. And, and, and this was the amazing scene that unfolded for the next 15 minutes. This is the amazing picture that unfolded for the next 15 minutes. Almost nobody out there actually knew each other personally. But this is, this is what happened. Very quickly, we learned a little boy was missing. We got his name. We found out what he was wearing. And then everybody ran. And man, we, we scoured every corner of that complex and within 15 minutes, he was found safe. This is, this, is, this is incredible. This is all we needed to know. We didn't need to know all the answers. We didn't need to know all the details. Didn't need to know his, his birth date and, and does he like Pokemon or Batman and does he like this and what's this and what's that? Didn't need to know any of these things. All we needed to know is that there was a little boy who was lost and he needed to be found. In the world we're living in today, guys, we got at least 20 million people. If you just scale that for Beaufort County, there's over 100,000 people who do not profess faith in Jesus Christ or have wandered away from the truth. And if this survey is an indication, like half of them would probably actually come back if we just invited them. It is incumbent on us to pursue those who have walked away from the truth. And man, what a fitting passage for Christmas Eve morning. Because what does the Christmas message remind us? It reminds us that you and I too had wandered from the truth. We were on our way to death. And yet what did Jesus come to do? Mark chapter 10, the son of man came to seek and to save those who were lost. You and I had wandered from the truth. You and I were on our way to death, but God in the flesh and the person and work of his son, Jesus Christ came and dwelt among us. 
And he lived the perfect life that we could never live. And then he died the sinner's death on a cross that you and I deserved. And on the third day, he walked out of that grave so that you and I could call on his name and faith and freely receive the gift of salvation in his name. That is what God has done for us. When we wondered and we were dying, Jesus came for us. And he calls us today to do the very same. To pursue those who have wandered from the truth. To pursue those who have wandered from the truth and to cover a multitude of sins and to save souls from death. And so this is what we're going to do as we, we close together this morning. Um, we're going to close our service in a way that wouldn't actually typically be normal for us, but, but probably should be more normal for us. As we come to the end of the book of James, we remember that James, at the introduction of this letter, introduced himself as James, uh, bond servant or slave of, of Jesus Christ. That's how James introduces himself. But a little Bible trivia here for just a second. Uh, some of you, I'm sure, are aware James actually had another unique nickname. Does anybody know what James's nickname was? A few people have said it. James's nickname was Camel Knees. And, and the reason why James was assigned this very, very odd nickname, it's been said of James that he was so fervently devoted to prayer, he spent so much time on his knees praying that they were completely calloused over. And so what we want to do, just in, in the spirit of who James was, and in the spirit of, of closing his letter in this posture of prayer, in just a moment, what I'm going to do is I'm going to invite anybody who desires to come up front and come around this altar. We're going to get on our knees together, or wherever you're seated. I know it's going to be tight, and we, we man, this room was packed in the first service, and we made it work. We've done this once. I promise we'll survive. And, and so, uh, or we'll just invite you to, 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 uh, to get on our knees wherever you are. Listen, I know many of you might be visiting with us today, and you're like, I'm not sure about all this. I'm not really feeling this, and I don't want you to feel any undue pressure here. But, but I do want to challenge our church family uh, to come before the Lord in fervency, that we seek him in dependency and desperation on our knees, and we're going to cry out to him, asking him that those who wandered from the truth would be brought back in and that he would use us to do it. And so this is what, what I'm going to do. I'm going to invite the worship team to go ahead and start making their way up here. And I'm going to invite you to go ahead and start moving around this room. If you, you feel the desire to come pray um, up here around the front, um, or if you are physically able, I'm going to challenge you just to get on your knees wherever you're seated around uh, this room. And let's come to the Lord in prayer as we begin to close our time this, uh, together this morning, as we close our time in this book. Let's pray in faith. We're going to pray in faith according to the will of God, according to the word of God, according to the promises of God. As we do this, we're going to anticipate in faith that the Lord is going to do extraordinary things and that he will use us to accomplish those purposes and his will. Just come to the Lord in prayer. Father, your word tells us that Elijah was a man with a nature just like ours. And he prayed boldly, he prayed fervently, he prayed in faith. And you heard his prayer and you answered his prayer according to your will and according to the promises of your word. And so Father, we come again boldly, fervently in faith and we call on the name of the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob.
we call on the name of the God of Isaiah and Jeremiah and Elijah and Ezekiel. We call in faith in the name of the God of Joseph and Mary and Peter and James and John. And we beg you and we plead with you, do your work in us and through us again. Pour out your Holy Spirit upon your people once again. You have promised in your word, you will not allow your glory to be forgotten. You have promised in your word to never leave or forsake your people. You have promised through your son, Jesus, that every sheep you have given to him will come to him and that all the Father has given to him will come to him and he will never lose a single one. And so Lord, we pray boldly in faith this morning for brothers and sisters who have wandered from the truth, who have drifted away. And we ask Lord that we would be conduits of your blessing, that you would enable us by your spirits and empower us by your grace to pursue those who have wandered in the same way that you have pursued us. God, help us never to forget that when we had drifted and when we had fallen, when we had forsaken our divine role as image bearers and we had rebelled against you and we had turned our backs to you, you did not resign us to our sinful condition and allow us to wander into death, but you sent your son, Jesus Christ, to do for us what we could never do for ourselves. God, remind us of this gospel message, this good news that was proclaimed to us and give us the resolve to proclaim it to others. Lord, we come to you claiming the promises of your word and we ask you, will you not revive us again? Will you not revive us again? Lord, we beg you, we plead with you, will you pour out your Holy Spirit? God, send revival again to your people. Send awakening to our nation. Lord, we confess that we have tried this in our own strength. We've tried this in our own power. We have tried this according to our own wisdom and according to our own ability. And Lord, we confess that we have failed and we repent and we turn once again to you and we plead with you. Let your spirit rain on us again. Let the rain of revival fall on the spiritual droughts of our nation. Will you draw multitudes to saving faith in the name of your son, Jesus Christ? And will you move in extraordinary ways that can only be attributed to your power at work in us, through us, and among us? So Lord, today, will you hear the cries of your people? Will you once again hear from heaven our prayers? Will you answer us and meet us? Will you not revive us again that the nations may praise you? So Lord, we plead with you today. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Hear the cry of our hearts this morning. As we remember the coming of your son, Jesus, help us to set our eyes on the reality that he is one day coming again. And we say, amen, come Lord Jesus. Come Lord Jesus. And if you will just pray along with me the words that Jesus taught us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses 
as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. And all of God's people said, amen, amen.